0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Just Another Fanboy. I'm your host, Steven, and today we're talking G.I. Joe once again. We've talked about it once already. We're going to talk about it a second time, and we're just going to keep on going until there's no more G.I. Joe to talk about. Because as I explained in the previous episode, not this past one, but a few episodes back, the link will be in the show notes. I am a member of Comixology Unlimited, and they have made available to their subscribers a number of volumes of the classic G.I. Joe run that is now owned, I believe, by IDW, but this is the run entitled G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, that was published by Marvel Comics starting in the 80s. This particular issue that we're gonna be talking about is issue number two, which was published in August of 1982, it is entitled Panic at the North Pole. It was written by Larry Hama with pencils by Don Perlin. The The previous issue, issue number one, I believe was penciled by Herb Trimpey. I can't remember how often they change up pencilers. I can't remember how often they change up pencilers on this book. It's like I said, it's been a while since I've read these. So I guess that will be part of the ride. Inks were done by Jack Abel. The colorist was Bob Sharon and the letterer was Jim Novak. All right. So this is again, this is the second issue of G.I. Joe, and there's not one Cobra to be seen in the entire issue. So already the comic book is straying from format in regard to what we know of as G.I. Joe. If you watch the cartoon, then you know that G.I. Joe is the code name for America's highly trained special missions force whose purpose is to defend human freedom against COBRA, a ruthless terrorist organization determined to rule the world. And frankly, if you're just looking at the action figures, the only bad guys are COBRA. But in the Marvel comic, they were kind of allowed to do their own thing. So they don't go up against COBRA in this issue. And we actually are spotlighting four of the Joes. This isn't a full Joe roster like the last issue, but what we got going here is up in the polar ice cap, up in the north, the North Pole, the ice cap up there, there is a U.S. research station that has been attacked by Russian soldiers. There's a Russian station not that far away, and they've attacked these U.S. soldiers. And using the most sophisticated equipment at the time, Keep in mind, it's 1982. I love watching the the high tech that was going on back then. But somebody from the U.S. research station is sending a communication. They're communicating to the Pentagon. They're talking to General Flagg and General Austin. And they're doing it by way of television camera. There's a generator out there. The person who's giving the, the report is holding a microphone. They look like a television reporter. They've got somebody there holding a big camera. And then this guy's holding a microphone, and he's reporting back to the Pentagon. Nowadays, we just, you know, pick up a sat phone or whatnot. But the fellas at the Pentagon think it's probably a good idea to get G.I. Joe in on this. And as Austin is telling, as General Austin is telling Flag, this, General Flag's like, I'm already one step ahead of you. I've already pulled the dossiers of the four Joes that I want in on this mission. We've got Scarlet, Snake Eyes, Stalker, and Breaker. At that point, Flag announces that, you know, unfortunately, these Joes are on leave. We're just going to have to cancel that leave. And then we get to see each four of these Joes, what they do when they're on leave. Stalker, we go to Stalker first, and he is out there stalking a deer. And he's got it in its crosshairs, and he's talking to himself. And he's like, all right, line it up. I I don't have the book in front of me, so I don't know exactly what he's saying. But he's like, all right, I got you lined up, girl. I'm about to take you. I'm about to get you. This is going to be the perfect shot. And then a helicopter lands, chasing the deer away. It's frightened. It's frightened of the helicopter. Stalker is very unhappy because whoever's flying the helicopter has caused him to miss his perfect shot. And that's when we see that he's actually holding a camera. He's a photog. Breaker is at MIT playing around on the computers. And he is always, I don't know if every single panel you ever see of Breaker, he is blowing a bubble. But that guy chews bubble gum all the time. And he's always blowing a bubble. And he's sitting at a computer and he's doing some fun stuff on this computer. He's he's cracking some codes and he's just he's just doing some high tech breaker stuff. And there's a couple of girls nearby and Wadham's like, "Ooh, huh? it's that guy again. He always comes in and uses our computers." Oh, I'm gonna swoon. And the other one says, "Let's invite him down to the cafeteria. And then once we're down there, I'll make myself scarce, and then you can be alone with him." And the other one says, "That's great. That's a great plan." And they turn and breaker is gone. But on the computer screen, on this big giant monitor, he's left up this text from the army that says, Breaker, leave is canceled, return to base. And I thought, G.I. Joe's supposed to be secret. They they make it sound like G.I. Joe is a secret because their base, the pit, is located under the chaplain's motor pool in Fort Something or other. And they pretend while they're there that they are the chaplain's assistants and blah, 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 and all this stuff. And so it's supposed to be a secret, but he leaves that there on the screen for everybody to see. Next up, we got Scarlett. She is in the middle of a martial arts competition, and she is in her gi, and she's karate chopping with another girl who's also in a gi, and they're fighting Karate Kid style. And this guy in all military dress, he comes walking up and just interrupts, walks right in the middle of the competition. And he's like, sorry, ma'am, leave is over. You have to return to base. And she goes, all right. And they start walking off and she goes, at least she could have let me finish. I was winning. Well, the woman she's fighting Gets up off the ground because Scarlet had knocked her on her butt. She gets up off the ground, and then she just charges Scarlet from behind. And she's like, Hiya! And just leaping through the air. And Scarlet says, one moment, please. Flips around, kicks the girl in the face, knocks her to the ground. She wins the competition. They go off. The last we have to get is Snake Eyes. They find Snake Eyes. I believe he's also on a college campus. I can't quite remember now, but he is spending time in a sensory deprivation tank. This is uh, something apparently he does all the time and will spend upwards of eight hours in this tank. Snake Eyes, we know from the previous issue, doesn't talk. We don't know why he doesn't talk. We don't know if he's mute or if he chooses not to talk. We don't know quite yet. I feel like we may learn that at some point in the future, but it won't be in this issue. So the military guy comes in and there's a guy in a lab coat and he's like, well, get him out of there. His leave's canceled. And so they open up the door, and Snake Eyes stands up from the from the chamber, and he doesn't have a mask on. We see him from behind, and this military guy is all aghast. He's like, oh, my goodness, his face. Oh, my gosh. Like, he's just going to start throwing up right there. blah, blah, blah look at his face. Blah. So we're left to assume that Snake Eyes has a pretty messed up face. The guy in the lab coat who's standing next to the army guy, Basically says, yeah, that's kind of the reaction we had at first, but we've gotten used to it by now. So all four of our Joes are together. They're in a plane with general flag and they're flying over the North Pole, over the ice caps. And the general's filling them in. He says, this is a recon mission only. Your first order of business is just to find out what happened. You are not to engage with the enemy. If they start firing upon you, you run with your tails between your legs. You are not to engage. Now, your secondary mission is try to, to recover the whatever it was, the research that they were doing in the, at the U.S. research facility is, has gone missing. The Russians apparently stole it. So they're to creep up on the Russian base, check it out, observe only if they're able to recover the stolen data without Mixing it up with any of these Russian soldiers, they're to do that. But first and foremost, they are not to engage. So they jump out of the plane, they parachute down, they walk to the Russian base, and they're, they set up like a snow blind, and they're watching the base, and suddenly this dude comes up on a on a sled pulled by dogs, this great big guy. And they're watching him through the binoculars, and they see that he's an Inuit, and the guy goes into the, the Quonset hut, that is the Russian outpost. And then he comes out. He he wasn't in there for very long. He comes out. He gets back on the sled day right away. And the Joes are a little confused. Who is this guy? What does he want? What was he doing there? But one of the Joes, I think it was Stalker, notices that when this big dude left, he left the front door open. And that's not something you do out up here around the North Pole because it's kind of cold. So upon seeing that, they assume that there's actually nobody in this Russian outpost. And so they head on down there and they go inside and there are Russians in there and they're all dead. But the big Inuit didn't do it. He was he wasn't there that long. Plus, these guys are like frozen stiff. They've been dead for a while. And so they start looking around and they find this. The 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 safe has been opened. And if the if our data, if the U.S. research data was in there, this big guy took it. There's also some kind of contraption. Breaker, I don't think he figures out what it is, but he can figure out that there's a piece missing. And so obviously this big guy had come in, stolen the research, stolen this doohickey, and and he took off. Well, it's at that point that Snake Eye stumbles across something, and he needs to get everybody's attention really fast, but he doesn't talk. Now, he could beat on something, he could clap his hands, but instead he just fires his Uzi into the air, which... I would think doing that among other soldiers could get you shot. Everybody turns around in surprise, though, and they're like, what's up, Snake Eyes? And he kicks over this table. Again, he could have just pointed at the table, but he kicks it over. And you see underneath is a bomb. And they all like, oh, my gosh, and they run away. And the place blows up. So they had taken pictures of this big guy on the the dog sled who had come into the the Russian outpost. And Breaker is carrying this newfangled backpack, this new, just this awesome tech. And what, it's al- what it allows them to do is they take the film out of the camera, they load it into the backpack, and it transmits the information back to base, where they develop the pictures, they can find out who this guy is, and then send the information back to the Joes through a teletype machine that is part of the backpack. So they head out after this dude on the dog sled. They are going, they they angle off and they're, they're running so they can get around ahead of this guy. In the meantime, they get this information back, the little teletype machine on Breaker's backpack starts going, and they stop and they rip the paper off and they read that this guy, this big Inuit dude on the dog sled, he is a mercenary named Quinn and he is the real deal. He's a bad guy. I mean, he's just a tough dude. He's one bad MF. Well, they get ahead of him, and they come across this ice bridge, and they surmise that the way this guy's going, he's heading for the coast, he's heading for open water, where it would make sense that he came in by plane. Actually, I'm skipping a bit, because they do come across... Okay, so they surmise that he came in by plane, but he's going to leave by submarine. Because they come across... The first night, they come across him, and he is sitting next to his plane with a fire in front of him, wrapped in a blanket, and they creep down on him. Snake Eyes puts the barrel of his Uzi to the back of the guy's head, and Stalker's like, we got you, man. That's an Uzi pointed at your head. Get up slowly. And the guy doesn't move, and Snake Eyes pokes him, and we find out that it's a bunch of C4 covered in a blanket made to look like a person. And that's when Quinn comes out of the plane. He'd been hiding in the plane. And he doesn't just open the door holding a machine gun, he kicks the door, literally kicks the door off of the hinges. So he gathers up the Joes, he takes all their weapons, he throws all their weapons into the sled, and he basically tells them why he was there. The Russians hired him to come get this stuff back because something happened to the Russians, and uh, they wonder, well, why are you telling us all this? And and one of them realizes, well, it's because he knows that he's leaving us out here in the middle of this polar ice cap with uh, no weapons, we're obviously not going to survive. And Quinn's like, that's right, suckers. And he takes off. So they go after him and it's the next day. What they do is they uh, they want to get ahead of him. So for some reason, Quinn left all the C4 behind and the, the airplane is a snowplane. So they start taking apart the plane and they basically build themselves a parasail to sled across the Arctic or whatever whatever it is we got up top there, the, the North Polar Ice Cap, ice wasteland and so they get ahead of him they go around him they get ahead of him they come to this ice bridge they've they realize that the way he's going he's going to go under the ice bridge so they set up a bomb with the c4 so that when he gets under the ice bridge they let it off you know they they explode the bomb and the ice collapses on top of him and that's when they realize holy crap we got to save those dogs and they go running down there quick get the dogs out from under there and they start pulling dogs out and that's when we find out Quinn was never on the sled in the first place. He's standing off to the side with his gun trained on him. Snake Eyes notices his gun, which, because all their guns were on the sled, he notices his gun among the ice, and he grabs it, and he fires. But nothing happens. Because Quinn removed the firing pins. He's wearing them on a little necklace around his neck, along with weasel skulls. Because Quinn has just been one step ahead of them this entire time. This dude is, is... He's the real deal. I've said that already. He is... He's not somebody you want to mess with. So again, he leaves them, but he's he he gives them a little bit more information and he explains that what the Russians were working on was a fear machine. It's a, a machine that emits something that makes people scared and they were they were going to be experimenting it on on the US. And he doesn't think that's really cool. He does there's no honor in that. But he has to deliver what he has promised to deliver, because he—that it's part of the contract. That's his code. He does have a code of honor. So once again, he leaves them there. He joins up with the Russians there on the coast. He gives them the research data from the U.S. research station, and he gives them the doohickey that goes to the fear machine. He gets his money, and then he says, okay, well, I'm going to take off, because when the Joes get here, they're probably going to kick your butt. And the Russians are like, what are you talking about? I thought you took care of the Joes. And he goes, well, I did. I mean, they were five miles behind me and and uh, I left them in a situation that, you know, most people couldn't get out of. But these are G.I. Joes. So I'm sure that they've probably escaped by now and they're on their way and they're fully armed. And and I'm sure they're going to kill you and get their stuff back. And the Russians are freaking out at this point. And they said, well, help us. You're you're the real deal. Help us out. And Quinn says, no, that wasn't part of the contract. You're not paying me for that. And they said, well, we'll pay you. And he goes, no. I don't think so. And he rides off on his sled. And then here come the Joes holding their guns. And the Russians are like, oh, no. Here they come. Here comes G.I. Joe. They're going to kill us all. And that's how the issue ends. With us assuming that our four Joes killed the Russians and took back what they were supposed to get. That's our assumption. Now, Quinn, I feel like, because I read these. I mean, it's been a while since I, I read these the first time. But I did go through these not that long ago. Quinn shows up a number of times in this book in the first 10 issues or so. And it's another, it's another thing that shows that the, the book didn't really, it was there to sell the toys. The, the cartoon came later. While the book was there to sell the toys and they did include the new vehicles and the new Joes whenever the toys would come out, it also included a lot of stuff that wasn't part of the toy line. Quinn is a bad guy that shows up on a number of occasions, but they've never made an action figure out of him. As far as I know, back then they didn't. With all this new direct-to-customers, special anniversary, you-can-only-buy-online type of action figures that, that the companies create nowadays, they may have created a, a Quinn action figure. But back then, when you, know, you could only get them in the Kmart or the freaking Walmart or whatever, there was no Quinn action figure. And yet he was a... He was a major player in the book. For at least the first year he shows up a number of times. He and uh, Snake Eyes even have a uh like a buddy cop road trip storyline at one point. But I like Quinn. I'm I'm kind of love-hate with Quinn. I kind of like him, I kind of don't like him. He does get kind of 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 an annoyance at times because of his honor and and it's just I don't know, the way he talks and he's always talking about the weasel and the hawk and the and all this stuff and he's kind of a caricature. Of the, they refer to him in the book as an Eskimo, which it was, it was okay to call them Eskimos back then, apparently. It was, quote unquote, okay to say that. Now we would refer to them as, as, what they actually are which is inuits but he he did seem very much like a caricature of what people thought the 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 eskimo people were back then he he kind of got on my nerves but he did kick a lot of butt he was quite the tough guy there's a particular cobra evil cobra agent that also they didn't make a toy out of doctor viper something like that we'll we'll come up we'll come across him later but it was a pretty good issue the art was okay it was no Herb Trimpey. I mean, it was it did the job it was supposed to do. Whereas when when I read the first issue with the, with the Herb Trimpey art, while most of it I'd be like, all right, this is serviceable. Every once in a while, you'd run across a panel that you'd go, holy crap, this guy was a master. He he knew what he was doing. This book, however. Most of it I read through, I'm like, all right, this is service this is serviceable. This is okay. This this is getting the job done. And then I would run across the occasional panel every now and again and go, This is not good. This is I he obviously was not he obviously didn't spend a lot of time on this panel or the inker came in underneath him and ruined it. I don't know. It's one of those things you just you just never know really unless you have the pencils to compare to the inks. But the story was fun. It was it's nice to see we go from basically the entire Joe roster in the first issue and then we just get a spotlight of the four Joes and we get kind of an idea of what these guys and girls do in their off time and we get a little bit more information about Snake Eyes who is he is the Wolverine of GI Joe literally we don't know a lot about him he's mysterious who is this guy and he kicks a lot of butt he's the best that, he he's the best there is at what he does and what he does isn't very nice Looking forward to reading issue number three. I don't remember anything about issue number three. I'm sure I will once I, once I get to it, but that'll be at some point in the future. So until then, my name is Steven, and I'm Just Another Fanboy. Stay safe out there, folks. Wear a mask. Be nice to each other. Do all that stuff, and the world will be a better place. I'm out. Just Another Fanboy is a Steven or Else production. Questions and comments can be directed to feedback at stevenorelse.com. You can support the show for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash Stephen R. Orr and get instant access to the My Other Podcast podcast, a weekly show about all the comics and such I don't have time to talk about here. You can find me on the World Wide Web at stephenorelse.com or find me at Twitter and Instagram by searching for at Good job.